2: I'm Melissa Lee, and this is Fast Funny. Tonight's trader lineup, Guy Adami, Tim Seymour, Dan Nathan, and Bono and Ison. Tonight on Fast, Lift hits the gas. The stock rocketing higher in the after hours as the company turns a major corner. We'll bring you the full details straight ahead. Plus, reef what you sowed. The chart master says it is time to harvest gains in the tractor trade. He'll break down the charts. And later, clean up in aisle three. Target hits the bullseye, but the stock misses the mark. We'll find out what sent shares tumbling today. But we start off with a sell off in big tech. The Nasdaq tumbling today, falling another one and a half percent to finish the days at session lows. The QQQs now down nearly three percent over the past month versus a one and a quarter percent gain in the NAS, excuse me, the SP 500. Check out some of these big moves in big cap tech. Apple falling two percent today. It is now down seven percent in a month. Amazon down 1.6 percent today, now down eight percent in a month. And Tesla is down four percent today. It is now down a whopping 21 percent. In the past month so are the wheels really coming off the tech trade? And Guy, what I thought was interesting about today's action because it wasn't just the Nasdaq closing at close to session lows, the S and P 500 as well. Rates weren't part of this picture here.
3: It's interesting, right? Rates were unchanged. I think pretty much TLT. I think closed exactly <laughs> unchanged on today. To your point, rates aren't part of the picture. And I find it fascinating, you know, 1959, I know I remember this uh, vividly. I was in high school. Dinah Washington uh, sang a song, What a Difference a Day Makes, and it's incredible over the last three or four. You know, I'm zigging when the market is zagging, very confused. I I couldn't figure out what Friday was. I certainly didn't understand yesterday. And today's just basically a carryover of the prior two. What I will say, though, despite the fact that rates weren't in the picture today, I think that's exactly what's going on here. I think the market is taking its cue off the bond market. I still think rates are going significantly higher than that 1.55 percent level in the 10-year. We topped that out on Friday. And I think the market's finally realizing that rising rates for certain names, especially the high valuation names, is not a good thing.
2: And, of course, this comes on a day when uh, Merck is going to manufacture the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. President Biden is really... Putting the pedal to the metal in terms of vaccine rollout and targeting educators, Tim—all feasibly very good news for the U.S. economy. But of course, that then begs the question: How long can rates stay where they are, and are we destined for higher rates and therefore pressure on these markets?
4: Look, I hope we're destined for higher rates—not uh, dramatically higher—but but, but uh, I, I will, you know, I, I will say again, I, I actually think we should be at one sixty on the ten-year. Um, it, it's interesting because San Francisco Fed Mary Daly, who's a voting member of the FOMC, was another of the parade of, of Fed speakers out there. We've had a lot. And we have a couple more this week pointing out that 2 uh, percent inflation, you know, something they're also ready to overshoot, pointing out that that the the economy is, is you know doing what it's doing because of, of optimism and that the Fed is not going to move even at the first sign of inflation. So uh, they're doing everything they can to job on a market, which. Clearly doesn't believe this, and it believes that the market is moving ahead of the Fed uh, to big cap tech. The things that should concern you, if you said we've seen the you know that that tech has done this before. So over the last six sessions, including today, the S excuse me the the, the triple Qs or the Nasdaq 100 uh, triple Qs or the ETF that that represent that have traded uh, either uh, slightly above or traded but below the 50-day moving average throughout the day, and and four of those six days closed below it, including today. The last time we had this kind of activity was back in mid-September and the only other one when it was about a seven-day run of trading around a bit under and a couple days uh, above but but again testing below the 50 we hadn't done that since pushing through the lows to the bottom in March And, and and otherwise it's been a great run for tech even in good days and bad days so that is the story we've talked about it on fast where should mega cap tech stocks be priced in a higher rate environment I just don't think we're going that much higher
2: yeah, I mean, last week we were all doom and gloom, Bono, I and mean, I think you were on the show on Friday. We were all concerned about it, and then we had some pretty big rallies. So, you know, fast forward 12 hours from now or or however long, one session from now, two sessions from now, are we going to see people going back in for that same mega cap tech trade?
1: You know, like, as I say, you're only as good as your last trade, and it really seems like the sentiment is sweeping from left to right almost at the drop of a dime here so yes listen the tina environment that we've been in for quite some time where sorry there is no other alternative environment that we've been in for some time Definitely, there is a shift there, right? And rising rates, generally speaking, for risk assets is not going to be uh, as attractive as we have been. So it's all about where we have been relatively. With that said, I would still, when I'm looking at mega cap tech or tech generally or the queues, I would still make sure that I differentiate between names like Apple and Amazon and names like Tesla and Zoom. And you're, what you're seeing is, yes, you are seeing some pullbacks. Tim gave you a great... Um, you know, reference point in terms of the 50-day moving averages. But the, the stuff that really concerns me are the zooms and the snowflakes and the neos of the world that you're seeing intraday moves of 10 to 15%. That is what the market is telling you they're having less appetite for as a, um, in terms of risk tolerance. And that is where my targets are squarely on.
2: All right. So I get that. I mean, I get that there's a, a subset of technology that may be more vulnerable to any sort of pullback. But Dan, I mean, we are seeing some pretty big declines among favorites, among investors who thought they were a relatively defensive, name like Apple, which we highlighted at the top, down 7% in the past month. I mean, where is fair value in your view?
5: Well, so here's the thing, Mel. You know, Microsoft, Apple, and Amazon haven't gone anywhere since September, actually. So it's been part of a rotation trade, um, you know, into cyclicals, financials, obviously a lot of other sectors that were kind of more primed to take off once we kind of get back to this reopening trade. Um, I think the most important thing that happened today was the 15% intraday reversal in Zoom. It was up 10% yesterday. They put up a great quarter. They gave a great guide for the first quarter. But when I was sitting there and looking, at that annual um, guidance, I'm saying this is really front-end loaded here. So it's about as good as it gets. And they just printed a quarter where revenues were up 369%. So obviously, you're going to decelerate from that. But yesterday on the close, this stock was trading at about 32 times sales, not earning, sales. So to me, I guess the question is, who's the incremental buyer here? This is a very fundamental thing. And it wraps into this discussion about rates. And it wraps into a a post-pandemic economy here. So Zoom is a great company. They have a great, great product. They've been raising money. They're going to do some probably very interesting acquisitions. They're going to broaden out their platform a bit, but it's got to grow into this valuation. It's very profitable, too, unlike many other um, high-growth valuation names that have just come to the markets in the last year, whether it be through IPO or through a SPAC transaction. So to me, that's the most important thing. Mega has is going, going sideways here. That's where the correction is going to be, though, in high-valuation names like Zoom over the the coming weeks.
2: I get the Zoom. And Dan had mentioned that Zoom is the victim of a couple of cross currents. First of all, the front end loaded guidance, and then also um, the post-pandemic world guy. Is that a good example, though, of, of what is going on in Big Cap Tech? Or is it just simply that they gave good guidance and it still wasn't good enough for the valuation? And can we extrapolate that across?
3: That's it's a, it's a very good example. Another excellent example, and kudos to Dan once again, I think Tim as well mentioned this, is NVIDIA a week and a half or two weeks ago when they put up what i thought was an outstanding number i thought you'd see continued acceleration of the upside and potentially take out the prior all-time high only to see that reverse as well so i think obviously you know a name here and there does not make a trend but when you start linking these things together it's somewhat concerning and i would say that was really good news on nvidia really bad price action and i thought yesterday because i said it on the show It was really good news in Zoom, and I thought Zoom would continue higher, but it's really bad price action. And, you know, you're talking about a company that went from 20 percent operating margin same quarter last year to 40, and 30 operating margins were expected by the street. So they blew it out on just about every metric, but the reversal is powerful, especially when it happened in Zoom today on almost three and a half times normal volume. Mm.
2: Well, big tech may be on the verge of an even bigger problem. Our next guest warns rising rates will spark a 15 percent correction if earnings do not dramatically exceed expectations. Class is in session now with the dean of the Motor, and finance professor at NYU. Professor, great to have you with us.
6: Glad to be back.
2: 15 um, percent correction. From what point do you measure that and what do you mean by higher rates? I mean, is 1.5 percent higher or is it really 2 percent? Is that higher?
6: See, I'm not a soothsayer, but there, there are two things that, that trouble me about this market. One is, if you look at the expectations of earnings, clearly the market's expecting a strong comeback in the economy, even stronger comeback in earnings. And I don't have a problem with that story. At the same time, the market seems to be pretty sanguine about rates until the last few days. I and mean, it seems to assume that the Fed can keep rates at whatever they want them to be. And those two stories, in my view, are at war with each other. You can't have both those stories in your head and expect those stories to both coexist so what's happened over the last five days is something i think we are going to see back and forth for the next few weeks maybe even next few months as the two stories fight for attention and the rate story wins stocks are going to go down if the earnings story wins so, you know stocks are going to go up but overall i think there is to be some kind of you know you've got to resolve that contradiction and that's where the 15 percent comes in If you build in the expected earnings and you build in a rising rate structure, you're going to come up with a level of the index about 15 percent below where it is right now.
2: We've already seen this um, sharper uh, correction or or sharper declines in big cap technology, Aswath. And so I'm wondering, in your view, as you as you have witnessed this, if there are stocks you think um, were unfairly punished or if all big cap tech, in your view, is still vulnerable to some sort of pullback should rates go higher.
6: You had a good run, not just for a year, but for a decade. I mean, we're we're living off a lot of fat in these stocks. I mean, September of last year, I valued uh, the the FANG stocks plus Apple and Microsoft, and only Microsoft looked undervalued to me then. And the other five were not massively overvalued. This is not some kind of a bubble, but they're all 15 to 20 percent overvalued. I mean I've seen what you've seen in the last six months is you know consolidation sideways movement. I still think Microsoft of those six companies would be the one I have in my portfolio, but I think part of the adjustment here is you're giving back gains that came much too easily in my view
4: professor it's it's Tim, thanks for joining us. If I was in your class, my guess is a, a uh, an entry on the curriculum would be pointing out just the relationship uh, without the interest rate dynamic of valuation to stocks. And with COVID, we got to this place where we, we didn't care about valuations. There was this mulligan on 20 and 21. Um, but at some point, as we get through 21, even without the factors, I think you could have taught in your class, and I'm sure you do, um, that, that, that earnings do matter. So I know you've brought that right. up, uh, but I, I, I would make an argument with a 110 tenure. Um, at some point, we have to pay the piper on on what we did during COVID. When we said we don't care about
6: earnings, is that I, I, am
4: I am I, I in line com- there with
6: that? I completely agree. I mean, I think you know, you spend a trillion here and a trillion there. Sooner or later, it starts to right add up to real money, as they would say. You know, at some point in time, I mean, we've we've uh, you know front ended a lot of spending that we'd have done over four, five, six years. So I think that. Now, and that's what troubles me about the story. If earnings are coming back because we're feeding money into the system, then how can you stop rates from coming back? The Fed can't stop them if inflation, it's two, keeps going. Because, you know, the Fed can say whatever it wants. But if inflation, it's two and a half, three percent 3% and keeps rising, there's nothing the Fed can do to keep rates from going up. Now, absolutely nothing. They can try to tweak it at, at the margin, but the Fed will be more spectator than rate setter at that point in time. All right.
2: Professor, it's always great to speak with you. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Aswath Damodaran of NYU. Uh, Dan Nathan, we didn't get to this, but the professor thinks that Airbnb is one of the more vulnerable stocks to any sort of interest rate sparked correction here. What do you think?
5: Yeah. Really good point, Mel. It's one of the most vulnerable stocks, but the company is probably set to start the party again, right? So when you think about it, the post-pandemic world, this was a company that was already dominating and disrupting the hospitality industry and moving into other things. So that's where the disconnect has happened. We're talking about the stock. Now, it's also on the tape tonight. They're raising $2 billion in a convert. They're doing exactly what they should be doing, right? And they made some very quick moves at the start of pandemic, reducing their costs, cutting, um, you know, Staff, that sort of thing. So, this is a well managed company, and this is a company that provides a service that's been massively disrupted to one of the biggest industries in our country. Um, But, divorced from the stock and the valuation is a really important point. So, yes, it could be vulnerable. But when I see a company doing a $2 billion convert a couple months after they did their uh, or they came to the public markets, and I'm saying to myself, this is probably a pretty smart management.
2: Coming up, blasting off shares of Rocket Company is going to the moon today. Is this the new target of the Reddit rebellion? We're going to dig into that one. But first, talk about a liftoff. Take a look at shares of the ride-hailing company, the headline that sent the stock soaring in the after hours. We'll bring you all the details when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast. We've got a market flash for you on Lyft Share, soaring after the bell. Deidre Bosa's got the details. Debo.
0: Melissa, the company is seeing a recovery in ride sharing sooner than expected. The last week of February was its best in terms of volume since the pandemic lockdowns began. It expects March volumes to actually turn positive on a year-over-year basis. Now, the company says that that should allow it to narrow its adjusted EBITDA losses in the current quarter, getting it closer to achieving that profitability target later this year. Now, Uber CEO Dara Rishahi, he was asked yesterday at a conference about his outlook, and he was more cautious, saying that they are seeing green shoots, but it's just too early to tell. So I asked Lyft's CFO, Brian Roberts, not long ago, what made him so confident and whether it had to do with their continued focus on ride sharing.
1: All we do is think about our transportation network. Uh, we, we wake up and go to sleep thinking about the U.S. and Canada. We have a very different footprint. And our strategy is, again, just transportation.
0: So perhaps a little bit of shade there. Uber, of course, has made a big move into food delivery to make up for lost ride sharing revenue during the pandemic. Question is though, going forward. Is Uber ready for rides to pick up or has food delivery been a distraction? We'll have to see on that front. Melissa, back to you.
2: So Deidre, when Khazar Shahi was being a little bit more cautious, he was talking about the business as a whole as opposed to just his ride sharing segment.
0: He was talking about ride sharing, but he wasn't just talking about the U.S. He was talking about Europe as well, because Uber does have a more global oh. footprint, whereas uh, Lyft only focuses on North America. All right.
2: Deirdre, thank you. Deidre Bosa or Debo, Tim Seymour. This is why so many people had liked Lyft in pre-pandemic, let's say, because post during the pandemic, It was Uber, it was food delivery, like all that stuff was great because it offset the slowdown in ride-sharing. But here we are coming out of the pandemic and it's again the focus on ride-sharing specifically and more specifically North America.
4: Yeah, but... but if ride-sharing is what's taking them to this, why, why does Lyft come out of this better on ride-share than Uber's ride-share? You know, to, to me, I, I, maybe I'm not representative, but I, I think there are consumers out there that are relatively indifferent, and they're price-sensitive, uh, and Lyft over Uber or Uber over Lyft is, is about... Uh, timing. Uh, and and yeah, yeah, there are places where one app may have greater you know, inroads than others. But look, I, if, if Lyft is, if it's exciting right now to be investing in Lyft because of the rideshare business, it is with Google with Uber. And, and I think if you look at the numbers, so they're telling you that February was up 5.4% uh, month over month to January. They're telling you that they're coming out of this faster. Um, I, I think what this is about for a stock that into these numbers was up 150% from November 1, that's right. 150 percent from November. Uh, and, and, and this reaction tells you overshoot on the way up as you overshot on the way down. I think there's a number of companies that are going to do it. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. In fact, I'm telling you pent up means you get a reaction that's that's disproportionate mm-hmm. to the upside than you had on the downside. I think that's what we're getting.
2: Yeah. I, and, Dan, you, you were kind of skeptical when it came to the forecast given by Brian Roberts of Lyft.
5: Well, especially juxtaposed to what Uber was saying yesterday. And I do believe that that Uber has created a better network effect. I was one of those people before the pandemic, Mel, that said, I like the focus. If they're trying to lift, that is trying to get to profitability, their focus on North America rideshare is probably an easier way to do it. Now, coming out of it, I think there's so many consumers who might not have used rideshare before but did use Uber Eats during the pandemic. And I think that's going to help Uber on the way out. And I'll just make this point about Lyft. This is a fine company. It's a fine management, and they are going to be around for a very long time, but this company is expected to do about $3 billion in sales this year, and on a gap basis, they're supposed to lose about a $1 billion in net income, so they're a long ways away from being profitable. You can give me a quarterly EBITDA loss and this and that or whatever, but at the end of the day, profitability is the thing. Going back to our conversation with the professor, earnings matter, and you can put any five-letter thing around an earnings thing that you want with a negative sign, it's still a loss.
2: Just quickly, Bono in, Uber, Lyft or none of the above.
5: Uh, I'm relatively indifferent.
1: I would say Lyft is slightly cheaper on an EV to sales basis. And for that reason, I think it's a, a better exposure to purely the reopening trade.
2: All right. We've got a news alert on the vaccine front. Let's get to Meg Terrell for that. Meg.
7: Hey Melissa, I just spoke with Merck's Mike Nally, a senior vice president uh, and the chief marketing officer of Human Health over there about this J and J vaccine partnership and about how it came together. Um, he told me in terms of timing, they expect that they can um, <clears throat> within a couple months bring on the fill and finish part of this, uh, really getting the vaccine into vials. Um, and they're also going to be manufacturing the vaccine itself. That they said you know would take probably into the second half to really start bringing that on board. Uh, I was trying to get a sense of how much this will increase J&J's output. Now, um, I have heard from Johnson & Johnson that this will enable them to surpass a billion doses in 2021. Uh, We don't know exactly the timing of all of that. Um, and Merck not saying exactly how much capacity is coming on board, but uh, they did say that the vaccine process is extraordinarily productive in terms of making this vaccine. Um, they also noted that there's not going to be any interruption to the other vaccines they make as a result of this. They had been building up capacity for their own COVID-19 vaccines, and they didn't pan out. And so they are using uh, that capacity to make this. They also say they're open to more manufacturing partnerships for other COVID drugs and vaccines, if they make sense. And they also announced separately some funding from BARDA in order to help them uh, bring that up. Um, You know, finally, we also talked about the significance of this. Uh, A lot of folks comparing it, including President Biden, to World War II and the business effort there. Um, And Mike Nally telling me he sees this uh, like the efforts around penicillin industry coming together to ramp that up uh, and help the country. Um, Now, this is a new a new version of that uh, with this pandemic. Mel?
2: Yes, very good news. Meg Terrell, thanks for bringing that to us. And we just heard prior to the show from Kayla Tausch that President Biden was very optimistic in terms of his projections as to when most American adults will get the vaccine. He moved that timeline up to by the end of May. Um, Guy, that has significant implications for the reopening of this economy. We were just talking about Lyft and Uber. Uh, I mean, it, it could be that things open up much quicker and we see that snapback much sooner.
3: Something that Tim's been talking about, and, mm-hmm. and hopefully that happens. As I mentioned, as a human being, you know, I look forward to that. What I will say, though, is in terms of the market, what's great for the economy might wind up being really bad for the market. And just to drill down quickly on some of these big cap pharma names, if you look, Eli Lilly, um, Merck, to a certain extent, Bristol Myers, all since the middle to late January have really traded poorly. Uh, it makes you start to scratch your head. That concerns me a little bit, because Big Cap Pharma was a space that I really like coming into this year. It's something to watch, the underperformance of Big Cap Pharma, since all of them pretty much made uh, significant highs in mid to late January.
2: All right. We should note that j and J CEO, Alex Gorsky will be coming up on Mad Money tonight, so be sure to catch that interview. In the meantime, here's what we have coming up on FAST.
8: The unlikeliest of couplings a mattress exec, and a cybersecurity company coming together for the SPAC of the season. But is this a match made in heaven? Or is it a sign we've hit peak SPAC? We've got that and a lot more when Fast Money returns.
2: Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Demand for energy is projected to continue rising in the future. To help keep up, Chevron is increasing their U.S. oil and gas production. And they're innovating to help do it responsibly across their operations, including their Gulf of Mexico facilities, which are some of the world's lowest carbon intensity operations, helping supply energy that's affordable, reliable, and ever cleaner. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com/slash meeting demand.
5: Exposure to SPACs. quick shout out, Josh Brown with Biggie over his back. You know I'm noticing that, but ain't gonna overreact. Melissa with an attack, and we all know it's a fact. Steve Brass will showing love
2: You know the song Spack sure. Dreams by our friend Cassius Couvet, and now there is a new name hoping to live its SPAC Dream. Cybersecurity complex complex company complex planning to go public with the help of the CEO of Casper. You heard that right? The head of a mattress company is taking a cybersecurity firm public. The deal is just the latest and a flood of SPACs hitting the market. And that got us thinking, are these SPAC dreams starting to turn into a nightmare? Bob Pisani is crunching the numbers for us tonight. Hey, Bob.
9: Hello, Melissa. Good to see you, as always. Is the SPAC craze slowing down? Well, on the surface, it kind of looks that way. The CNBC SPAC 50 index, which tracks the 50 largest pre-merger SPAC deals by market capitalization, hit a high of 138. That was on February 17th, and it's down about 12 percent since then. But there may be a perfectly reasonable explanation. SPACs are not immune from normal market forces. For example, the IPO ETF hit a high on February 16th. That's the day before the SPAC index hit a high. It too is down 12% from its high. The S&P 500 also hit a high on February 16th. Now, what do they all have in common? Well, February 16th was when interest rates suddenly popped. The 10-year Treasury yield went from 1.20% to 1.29% in a single day and it continued to move up for almost the next 2 weeks. So the most likely explanation is that SPACs correlated to market conditions. If stocks are having trouble due to a rapid rise in interest rates, then SPACs are also likely to have concerns as well. Now, one thing's for sure. The SPAC craze is continuing unabated. SPACs are just overwhelming the traditional IPO market this year. Year Year-to-date, there's 203 SPACs. Year-to-date, 203. They've raised $58 billion dollars. There's been 57 IPOs, a fourth of that number, and they've raised about $22 billion. So put simply, 75% of the dollar value of all the money raised this year to go public is going to the SPAC market over the IPO market. And, Melissa, I think the right conclusion is here is that they're very dependent on market conditions, just like IPOs are con- mm-hmm. dependent on market conditions and probably will be going forward. I think it's a good insight. About the SPAC market. Back
10: to you.
2: All right, Bob, thank you. Bob Pisani. And of course, just within the past hour or so, we learned that Lennar and the ex Zillow CEO Spencer Raskoff are going in on what else? A SPAC called DOMA <laughs> to uh, do an acquisition in the residential real estate market. Dan, Nathan, what do, you, what do you make of all of this? Because even if the market conditions may be getting worse, if you believe interest rates are going higher, there are still SPACs just flooding the markets.
5: Yeah, you know, let's talk about this one deal today that we're talking about. This is actually how a SPAC was meant to work, right? When you have an entrepreneur like Krim from Casper, right? He gets uh, lines up a bunch of capital because people uh, believe in him. And then he enlists a guy like Bill Foley, who's a financier legend, and then they go buy a really cool SaaS company run by a stud. I don't know if you saw him on the exchange earlier, this guy Jason Crabtree. I mean, this is how it's supposed to work. And the funny thing about this deal today, it's not working. It was down, right? And some of these other ones that are a bit sexier in some of these other spots, whether it be like EV or LIDAR or something like that, they're go, or, or space, they're going to the moon. So I just think it's kind of interesting. It might be a sign of where we are in the issuance phase, as, as Bob is talking about. And it may be something to do with those interest rates we were talking about
0: earlier. In today. terms
2: of having to be more selective about what you—it's no longer just throw a dart at a spec, buy it. It goes higher and above, well above the $10 trust price bond. And maybe now with interest, interest rates going higher, it is you actually have to look at the management uh, and, and maybe wait on buying the SPAC to see what they're interested in buying.
1: Absolutely. I mean, being that, you know, a lot of these are pre-merger or pre-target type of companies, so much weight and value is essentially in finding the right management team and the ability to raise capital. What I do see is a continued evolution in terms of SPACs. Uh, time allotted in, in terms of finding a target, transparency in terms of uh, making it known and the time frame around making known one's target, things of that nature. So I, I continue to think that this market will evolve. Um, but yes, I, I think it all speaks to investor sentiment at the moment. We've been kind of bulled up. Uh, I think it's logical that things are you know, taking somewhat of a pause, given uh, the speculative nature of some of these specs and given the, the market reaction as a whole.
2: All right, let's dig more into the SPAC boom with someone who actively tracks and invests in this space. Julian Klimachko is the head of, of Accelerate Financial Technologies. He manages the Accelerate Arbitrage Fund, an ETF that tracks SPACs and mergers. Julian, welcome.
10: Thank you, Melissa, for having me. Really excited to be here to talk about SPACs. So let's get into it.
2: All right, let's get right to it, Julian. Um, has has the easy money been made? I mean, I, I'm asking this because I'm, I'm wondering, with market conditions, as Bob had highlighted, getting a little bit tougher on the interest rate front, is it harder, in your view, to to um, invest in SPACs? The backdrop isn't as easy.
10: Yeah, it's a really interesting dynamic. And there has been a big flood of new issuance, as you indicated. There's now 465 SPACs outstanding. So the ability to really pick the right one is is super tough because these are blank checks at the end of the day. So we prefer a diversified approach. We think that there's still good opportunities in the SPAC market, but one does need to do their due diligence and they do have to be uh, selective, and smart about it. So you just can't go and buy everything you need to definitely do your due diligence.
2: So can we walk through a SPAC investment that you have made um, just to s- sort of see how the process works at your firm? Let's, let's take, for instance, North, Northern Star Investment 3. What do you like about this? What stage are they at? And at what stage did you buy the SPAC?
10: Yeah, so Northern Star Investment 3 was actually one of the ones we're buying today. It was a new IPO issue that came out today, and the IPO market had been super hot for the past three months. Uh, Most deals were massively oversubscribed, uh, so I run a fund and we do subscribe to IPOs. And it had been getting increasingly more and more difficult to get access to those because large funds were coming in, pushing out uh, many of the other guys But now investors have the opportunity to buy Northern Star Investment 3 at the $10 per unit IPO price which gives you not only a share, but you get a one-sixth of a warrant. And this is a good sponsor team, SPAC Vets, Joanna Coles, and Jonathan Ledecki. This is their third SPAC. It's focused on consumer and e-commerce. They previously did two SPACs, both relatively successful, announcing deals with Apex and BarkBox. That BarkBox deal is looking like a winner. So it's really the opportunity in Northern Star Investment 3, symbol NSTC slash U. You, you're buying the units at $10, uh, which is its cash value. You're getting the warrant for basically free. Mm-hmm. You're with a good sponsor team that has the experience. And you're getting to invest at the same price as and the same terms as these billion-dollar hedge funds. So I think it's a good pick.
2: So so let me ask you this. In terms of the management team and the people involved in this back, is it important to you for those people to have industry experience in the industry in which they intend to make the acquisition. And I, I guess I'm, I'm going back to this complex deal today where you've got the CEO of Casper, um, the mattress company, buying a cybersecurity firm.
10: Yeah, that's a good point. And it's really hit and miss. There aren't you know, any hard and fast rules. So specifically this complex deal, certainly with Philip Krim running the tailwind acquisition side of things, People did expect more of a DTC acquisition, so I think the market was a little bit surprised to see this risk analytics platform uh, within the business combination. The transaction was a bit muddied by two additional acquisitions within the announcement. Plus, it was not a good day for the SPAC index. Our Accelerate SPAC index was down 2.1%, so a rough day in general to announce a business combination. And uh, on on the flip side of things, some of the most successful SPAC deals were blank checks that pivoted. Say they had a mandate to do like an energy deal, oil and gas, or a cannabis deal. Many of those actually flipped to do a transaction in electric vehicles, battery technology, and those ones were proven to be like big winners. So the mandate only means so much. And we see SPAC sponsor teams pivot all the time. So it's not something that's too surprising.
1: Hi, thanks so much for making yourself available. Would you mind speaking to the dynamic with uh, SPACs and venture capital and how you kind of see that dynamic evolving as SPACs become more well-known, more popular, um, and then just kind of in everyday nomenclature?
10: Yeah, so venture capital is... They're really involved on on two sides of it. One could be an exit opportunity for a portfolio company, i.e. going public. And on the other side, you're seeing more and more venture capitalists start sponsoring SPACs because they're effectively like a one-deal venture capital fund. Obviously, the sponsor (laughs) promote or the compensation is quite lucrative if you can uh, uh, announce and strike an attractive acquisition. And venture capitalists by nature, it's their job to have good deal flow. So they tend to be one of the most advantaged SPAC sponsors just in terms of the opportunity set that they're able to look at. And if they can sort of funnel those opportunities into their own SPACs, then you know it's just more deal flow for them, more economic opportunity. And we are starting to see certain venture capital firms become very aggressive Uh, We've seen a number from Social Capital, Dragonier, and Mm -hmm. COSLA just filed for four SPACs in a row. Uh, So it should be interesting to watch those.
2: Julian, thanks for your time. Appreciate it. Julian Klimachko of Accelerate Financial. Uh, Tim, just quickly, your two cents on SPACs.
4: Well, I think... Investing in the right management team and their ability to access deals and and choose over. uh, And again, the mandate that Julian referenced, in some cases it evolves. But but that's the most important thing. And then I go back to what what, what Bob Pisani talked about, which is that um, the the, the liquidity in the markets right now is everything to do with what's going on with SPACs. But it's not uh, that SPACs wouldn't be as a vehicle. Uh, I think a fantastic vehicle in a public wrapper for investing in private equity. He mentioned cannabis. Uh, you know, those are SPACs I'm investing in my ETF, and those are SPACs I, I may be involved in in the future. All
2: right. Coming up, it has been a bountiful harvest for investors in cat and deer, but is it time to reap the rewards? The chart master will lay out why he thinks it is time to fade the tractor trade. That's next. Shares of Target, a major buzzkill in today's session. That stock unable to hold on to early gains, closing down nearly 7%. This despite posting better-than-expected earnings and sales growth for its latest quarter. The company, though, did not provide guidance for the year ahead. Guy, good news, bad price action.
3: Mm. Mm. That's now the third example on this yep. show. And having made an all-time high of 199.86 or so in January, the stock's down, you can see, about 13%. That's troubling, I think valuation's becoming a concern. I think the fact that maybe costs are coming concern and will they be able to pass them on, Walmart, Costco, similar thing. Listen, you have to figure out where to reenter this trade, but it still feels like there's some pain ahead for Target and Walmart.
2: All right, coming up, betting the farm. The chart master says it is time to harvest gains in the tractor trade, the five charts you cannot afford to miss. And later, the Reddit rebellion setting its sights on a new name, why the rocket emoji is red hot right now. Much more Fast Money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. The tractor trade has been trucking along this year. Names like Caterpillar, Deer, and Agco are up big in 2021, but the chartmaster says it might be time to harvest those gains. Let's get to Cornerstone Macros, Carter Braxtonworth. Carter, take it away.
8: Well, uh, before we get to the charts, obviously these are darlings, and yet strangely, the sell side uh, has price targets for both stocks 12 months in advance that are lower. The current price, so perhaps not darlings. First chart. What I've done here is I've taken cat and deer and plotted them as though they were one security. They both have about 110 uh, billion market cap. So the two lines you're looking at. The first is cat and deer, as though it were one security, juxtaposed against the S&P. It's a one-year chart, and obviously you can see there that the cat deer line uh, is up fourfold over the S&P, up 100% versus. Uh, 26% on a trailing 12 month basis. Next chart, it's a 15 year chart. Same exercise. Cat and Deer as one security, plotted equal weight versus the S&P. And here we see more than a double, meaning Cat and Deer up 420 versus the S&P up 200. Third chart. Now we're just looking at the basket itself, this two stock basket. Uh, Cat and Deer, 1980 all the way to present you can barely see those past prices, it's been so steep. So next chart is a log chart, exact same chart, but uh, instead of arithmetic, it's logarithmic to sort of mute the rate of change. And it's a 45 degree angle. In fact, final chart, you can see it here. I've put in the channel. So cat, uh, deer, as a single security, has been ascending inside this channel. And every time it gets to the top of the channel, it's backed away. Bottom of the channel, it's bounced we are just now right at and slightly above the top of the channel. And so the thinking here is, again, these are uh, a little bit ahead of themselves, or a lot ahead of themselves, but just to put that in context, consider the following. Each stock is up 11 months in a row. Neither has ever done that in its history, right? Each stock is trading at a record high price to sales, and each stock right now is trading at a level that the 47 analysts that cover them believe is so high that their 12-month price target is below where the stocks are trading now. So whether you take it from the sell-side community, looking at fundamentals, or the charts, either way I think the message is take profits, reduce exposure, write calls, do something.
2: Carter, thank you. Carter Braxtonworth of Cornerstone Macro. Guy I go to you. Because not once, not twice, probably three or four times you've given Cat as your final trade. You meowed once, in fact, I believe. Yeah.
3: Um, right. And so
2: what, yeah. What, do you, what do you make of this trade now?
3: It's amazing. Carter, you know, the way he speaks in those just sort of those dulcet tones, he's terrifying in his, in his <laughs> cadence and his pitch. It's, it's, he's actually scared me. Look, I, I understand what he's saying. I would I would push back and say, listen, on a valuation basis, given their earnings growth, Caterpillar is still cheap. He is correct, though, that the run has been uh, unparalleled in the history of both these companies. So maybe it's time for a pause. He's also right that analyst community really hasn't ratcheted up their price targets. So maybe Caterpillar got ahead of itself at two twenty five, and maybe back to that one eighty five level uh, makes some sense. So good for CBW. Bad for the meowing me.
2: (laughs) Tim, a quick on cat or deer.
4: Uh, That chart on deer is is gaudy, as Guy would also say. So I I think I would take cat over deer. I, I would prefer, though, to own... Uh, in the mining space, the the folks that are mining. So, you know, Caterpillar, sure, but the industrial metals are booming. Look at the price in copper, Southern Copper out there saying there won't be any real supply in copper for maybe eight to 10 years. So again, go with the miners. They're the ones that uh, I think ultimately are the beneficiaries of all this activity.
2: Coming up, blasting off, is this stock the new target of the Reddit Rebellion? The name and the trade when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Take a look at shares of Rocket Company. It's a stock blasting off today, triggering two trading halts due to volatility. There is speculation that the stock is a new target of the Reddit rebellion. Thinknum, a platform that tracks Reddit mentions, says Rocket rocketed into the fifth most mentioned stock on Reddit today. So let's trade it. No coincidence, of course, Tim. This is a stock with a high short interest, more than 40 percent of shares, and a very small percentage um, of shares are actually actively traded, as Bespoke had pointed out. I think they said 94% of shares are in a class that is not actively traded. So perhaps magnifying that short.
4: Without question. Uh, by the way, I think we should note that Rocket is, I believe, the third song on Def Leppard's Hysteria. And I know that was one of I was your, just your big uh, favorites yeah. in the 80s. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So uh, look, I, I think this is absolutely fits, you know, fits the uh, description, hook, line, and sinker, and 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 think about some of these names. Now, this this actually is a company that is really a story uh, as opposed to a structurally flawed company. And, and I think this is one you have to be a lot more careful about on the short side, especially when we've seen that valuations really don't matter.
2: Yeah, um, and and maybe we should do a trade school guy here because if you are short a stock and they ah. pay a dividend, the stock pays a dividend, what happens to the person who has that short? They are obligated. <laughs> to pay the <laughs> dividend. So Rocket today issued a they're special not feeling dividend. not very good. Right? So you yeah. would think that the and, shorts and, are, earned, are going to the hills right now.
3: <laughs> they're, they're scampering. Um, and I, listen, I, not that I thought this move would happen, let me be clear, but if this move were to have happened, I thought it should have happened last week when they reported their earnings release, because quite frankly, it was a pretty significant earnings release in terms of the beats across the board. I don't know why it happens today, Tuesday, as opposed to, I guess it was Friday when they reported. With that said, um, it just being a short seller in this environment, playing things from the short side to try to take advantage of things going lower, it's just an impossible game right now. That, will, that pendulum will swing back at some point, but you've taken one of the players um, out of this market, and everybody will cheer that and think it's a great thing. I will tell you that when the incremental buyer in the form of the short seller is no longer there, Things are going to be very problematic when things turn around to the downside.
2: Yeah. Bono, and you spotted some pretty interesting activity in the options pit on this
10: one.
3: Absolutely. Um, So taking a look at options
1: volumes, options were 10 times what we typically see on uh, daily uh, trading volumes, with calls outpacing puts about three times to one. So this was very, very much at the forefront of people's minds. Options are implying about a 50% move between now and March x re And the trade that really jumped out to me, well, really it traded over the course of the day, being mindful of the fact that this stock opened sub-30. 75,000, 75,000 March 50 calls traded for an average price of 315, putting your break even at 5315 or about 133% of current spot. Now, I don't expect people to hold those to maturity, but it is testament to the fact that people are continuing to buy these upside calls to squeeze these names shorter. Being mindful of the fact that it is, as you said, 35 to 40% short interest. So absolutely um, a a very dynamic trading session today in RKT.
2: (laughs) That's a nice way of putting it. For more options action, be sure to tune into the full show Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Up next, Final Trade. Let's
4: go around the horn. Tim. Reopening trades that still have some gusto left. Go to the back of the center of the storm in Melco Resorts, breaking that downtrend from well before pandemic. Take a look at this one.
2: Dan
5: Nathan. Uh, yeah, if you're looking for an index short right here, IWN tracks the Russell 2000, breaking the uptrend from the November lows. Massive outperformance. I think it gives some of it back here.
2: Bono and Eisen.
1: Reopening trade with relatively fair valuation, UNP.
2: Guy Dami.
3: The irony of space doing a round trip from 33 to 63 back to 33 is not lost on me. I think you can try space for a trade here, Melms. All right.
2: Thanks for watching fast. We'll see you back here tomorrow at 5 for more. Meantime, don't go anywhere. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts
0: right now.